I'm calling today's word sovereign over us. And it's from the book of Acts chapter 9. And just to say that the book of Acts is officially called the book of Acts of the Apostles. But many say that it could be renamed as the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it was God acting sovereignly through the Holy Spirit in people who had yielded their will to his will for their lives. And that is a key to understanding the sovereignty of God. In chapter 9, we saw the sovereign work of God in changing the entire purpose of Paul's life in bringing him to the, into the eternal purpose of God on the road to Damascus. He heard the words of a messenger called Ananias who was told to tell Paul how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And that was in Acts 9 verse 16. Paul accepted the things that befell him as being ordained of God and he aligned his will accordingly, the things he had to suffer. And he saw the will of God being done on earth as it was in heaven. As God reordered him and his world around him. That's what the sovereignty of God does. When we come into it by faith and offer ourselves to that. We read on in a few verses later in Acts chapter 9 how Paul straight away confronts his suffering and adversity in the attempts of people to persecute him and take his life. Verse 22, Paul became stronger and stronger and confounded the Jews in Damascus as he debated with them, proving that Jesus was indeed the Christ Messiah. Many days after this, the Jews conferred together and decided to have him put to death. But Saul found out about their plans to ambush him, that they waited in the city gates day and night to take his life. One night, the disciples took him and helped him to escape, lowering down through the city wall in a basket. It was God's will to keep Paul alive. And despite the will of the would-be assassins, God was sovereign over Paul's life. The keeping power of God with somebody who has put their will into his hands. He even received rejection from Christians and further attempts to assassinate him and kill him because he was a suspect as far as the Christians were concerned, a terrorist. So it goes on, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to link up with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and didn't believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him under his wing and vouched for him before the apostles and told them how the Lord had appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. He told them how the Lord had commissioned him and how courageously Paul had preached Jesus at Damascus. So Paul became one of the many's comings in and goings out in Jerusalem. Kind of a freelance preacher. 
He preached confidently in the name of Jesus and debated powerfully against the Hellenists. But these Hellenists then began planning how to execute him. The apostles and disciples were aware of this, so they brought him down to the port of Caesarea and sent him off back home to Tarsus. Now, even though Barnabas endorsed Paul as being commissioned by the Lord on the road to Damascus, Paul was not commissioned this time by the other apostles, not for any special mission at all. He was just waved goodbye. And when Paul writes his letter to the Galatians, he introduces himself as Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. That's in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. This is who I am. As we see later in his letter to the Galatians, he was led to be alone with Jesus for three years and not receive teaching or counsel or revelation from any other person. Galatians 1.16 I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him for 15 days. He's telling us that the gospel he received was not from a human source. He didn't confer with the other apostles or anyone else. He went to Arabia, into the wilderness area east of the Jordan, down past Mount Sinai towards the Red Sea, all of that area, and he received revelation from Jesus for three years. He had something that only he could get a revelation from God for because of the way he had to speak the gospel to non-Jews. And he really spoke things in such a thorough way. Later on, Peter was to write, look, there are many things that Paul writes that some have difficulty with, but all scripture is from God. And he endorsed Paul, but he realised that Paul had a, a, a range of revelation that was perhaps, you could say, deeper and broader than theirs. At the time, everything progresses and develops. Paul would have fully understood that he had given himself to the will of God. And it's conceivable to compare those three years with the three years that the other apostles spent. The other apostles spent three years with Jesus and people sometimes put that forward as a proposition, maybe this was his three years with Jesus. But he received such revelation from God. And I do believe that he understood the sovereignty of God so much. Paul understood it fully because he also would have understood how Jesus had lived his own earthly life in asking his father to reveal his will and his ways to him and his timing to him, a sovereign God. 
And that was for everything that Jesus did on the earth. Jesus himself said, I can do nothing by myself. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. Paul would have realised that his own life had been repurposed and was being led by an unseen hand into unplanned events and confrontations and being protected and kept alive and provided for amongst people whose lives were also being guided by a sovereign God. Ever since that meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus, it was clear to Paul that everywhere he went, Jesus was there. Everything that happened to him was something that the Father had arranged. The things that were said to him were things he was meant to hear, even though the circumstances were often difficult or threatening. He simply knew that things came to pass that he would never have expected to happen if he was totally in charge of things. Now that is a mindset, would you agree? He would have to be thinking about that all the time. What's next? He would certainly make plans. He often did. He would say, I think we'll go there, and the Holy Spirit would say, no, no, not this time, Paul. I mean, you're allowed to make plans. Of course you are, and we do our best. But he was always there with the the understanding that God could intervene at any time for his purpose to be done. Wow, that's, that's a way to live, isn't it? And I do believe God invites us into this. I want to see if we can get a little bit more understanding of it today in the scriptures. Paul would have also understood the quandary of God's sovereignty and our own free will. Because before he met Jesus and received the Holy Spirit, he had chosen to do whatever his conscience told him was right in his own sight. He was a good man in that sense. He wanted to do what God prescribed in the law. But he had no perception of the sovereignty of God in his life. He thought he was just making his decisions. And I'll get those Christians and I'll do you a favour, God. <laughs> It was only in retrospect that he would have understood that God's hand was always upon his life in all of his struggle between the good and evil within him. Even that's a revelation. You could say, oh, well, I know you're sovereign now, but you probably weren't sovereign over me in all the, the terrible stuff I'll get into. And God says, look, I was there. Don't make any mistake about that. But you had your free will to operate in. These are difficult things for the human mind to comprehend. He knew God now in a different way and he faithfully yielded his will to God's will. He could now witness the wonder of God's sovereignty because he had yielded. He had offered himself and he believed that God was going to be doing all the stuff now. An unbeliever would say, you are mad to believe in such a wonder as God's sovereignty. Don't say it just doesn't work that way. Paul was now in a different world. 
where the laws of cause and effect become radically different. Paul had given himself to the will of God and we know the way he was now thinking after receiving his life-changing revelation from Jesus. He knew that by placing his life in God's hands for the Father's will to be done, that he was a partner with Jesus in bringing God's heavenly kingdom order to the earth. Now that's on offer. Paul never claimed to have become perfected in this pursuit. We don't perfect this. Jesus did. But Paul said that he was always pressing towards that mark, that upward invitation from God. Let the kingdom come. Paul said, yes. Sorry about my behaviour there yesterday and my irritation at the circumstances. Thank you, Lord. When people pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They may sincerely believe in that as a possibility that might happen someday, but not believe for that to become a living reality in the here and now humdrum of their lives. Well, let's change our thinking a bit. Let's pray that prayer and mean it. Paul knew what he meant when he prayed that prayer. Here we go again today, Lord. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Here I am. The world's culture, especially in these days, tells us to make our own plan, own it, work hard, and it will deliver. Many Christians believe that they can claim any scripture and own it, and believe hard and ask God to do it and he will deliver. We're in charge. And that's understandable. If we put things in the category of standard cause and effect, you do the best you can, knowing that it's up to you eventually. Well, thinking it's all up to you. But Paul sees a greater mystery of God's sovereignty sitting above this limited concept. Now, I don't think the company that I'm in here really differs at all from the way Paul looked at things because there's something about the Word of God that gets into you that causes you to want his will to be done anyway. And I know people in the business world and other areas of the workforce who do make plans but they put them in God's hands, seeking to align them with the order of his kingdom. They do that with a sincere heart. And they do work hard. And they see God sovereignly at work in their work. You know, you know that happens. And they can think, oh, wow, Lord, what a blessing that was. I didn't think you would do that wonderful thing. And God says, my child, you were working to a principle of surrendering your day's work into my hands and look what I've done. Get used to that. Get it deeper into you. You see, people are doing it. But I want us today to become awestruck at the wonder of it and to love it and embrace it. 
I know people who pray to God in their need and surrender their prayer into God's hands for his will to be done and they give thanks and they see God sovereignly at work in their lives because they're not demanding that God does things. But I would never say to somebody, you don't need to pray because God knows what you're going to pray, so just leave everything to him. No, please. Prayer is a beautiful conversation of a humble person saying, oh, Lord, I'm undone. I don't know what to do. I'm in need. God says, good, come and talk to me about it. Bring those things to me. Humbly. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Of course we bring our petitions to God. And we do get specific about things. We're real. And God's real. But then we put it into his hands. Paul was later to write about this mysterious way of life in his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 1, verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance... This is in Jesus, we've obtained an inheritance. And that word inheritance is an allotment. It is something that God has ordained. An inheritance. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Let me just say that colloquially. In Christ, we were destined to fulfil the plan of God who accomplishes everything according to his design for us. So the word predestination is about purpose. It often seems to get limited to whether you go to heaven or not. No, it's about here and now. Knowing we've obtained an inheritance, something that is ordained for us, which was determined according to the purpose of God who's going to work, work all things according to the counsel of his will. That's predestination. Predestined. In fact, the word predestination isn't in the Bible. It's predestined. And it's wonderfully outlined in Romans chapter 9 about being brought into the purpose, invited into the purpose of God. It is an act of faith. Father God, the divine overseer of our lives, sovereign over us, is able to work all things together for his will to reorder and direct our lives in his way and in his time. And that can be difficult for us. I don't mind the Lord doing things in his way, but sometimes his time, I would rather be more in charge of that myself, <laughs> but I, I'm not allowed to do that. I'm being told that more and more. Wait. You see, God provides for our natural and spiritual needs in bringing his design for our life to pass. Doesn't matter how old you are. He's always working on it and saying, are you in on this? In Matthew, there's a, Jesus' words, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, your natural and spiritual needs, 
in your soul. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's a different kind of cause and effect. You do this, you watch God. So let's look at that scripture again. It's telling us that our Heavenly Father knows all about the burdened fretting of our own soul. And as our Father, he invites us to trust him for his provision and to align our thinking and believing in his timing and his way of reordering our lives. Thy kingdom come, reorder me according to the order of your kingdom. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, being in alignment with his ways. And this also means inviting his correcting of us when we get off course. It's as simple as that. I think I blew that maybe yesterday, Lord. Is that gone forever? No. We're going around again with another opportunity. But it's good that you recognise your limitations. I'm still in this with you. We can believe that God has a sovereign plan for each of our lives that is based on his infinite wisdom, love and purpose. God's providence involves his ability to orchestrate events and align them with his divine plan for our ultimate good as his children. What parent wouldn't love to be able to do that? Wouldn't God, as a father, love to have his son and daughter say, okay, I'll do it that way. God says, keep watching. Stay tuned in. Romans 8.28 All things work together for good for those who love him and are invited to live according to his purpose. Invited to live according to his purpose. Where's the invitation? We find it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers. You see, Paul lived this way. He said, I'm not perfect, but this is what I'm reaching for. And I see it happening. And it's awesome. But he's saying to us, because I'm doing it, he says, I want you to do it. I'm a human being, so are you. And he's going to do it in a different way to each person. But it's going to be him, God, reordering your life and presenting things in front of you that you thought, these are uh, above all that I could ask or think. Exceedingly abundantly. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Doesn't seem logical. You just offer yourself to God. You think, is that really reasonable and logical? A, a person who didn't believe in God would say, that is being incredibly passive, not getting up and doing the thing that you can do on your own. No. Paul says, 
This is your reasonable service. And in the Greek, the word is logikos latria, the logical way to serve him. Might not seem logical to somebody who doesn't have faith, but he's saying, offer, offer yourselves and believe. So then, we can pray and seek God's guidance in our lives because further on in that same verse and into the next verse it says, so that if you do this which is your logical way to serve him, you will know the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what he's interested in. There is a process that's very straightforward. Here's the invitation. You offer that, you trust and believe, and then you'll see my perfect will. We can pray and seek God's guidance in our lives, knowing that God actively listens to our prayers and intervenes in response to them. While his ways may not always align with our human expectations, we trust that his intervention is always for our spiritual healing and growth and blessing. As strange as it may seem in the circumstances in which it arrives, miracles of timing and seeming coincidence will occur as instances of God's direct intervention in the natural order of things to bring about surprising wonders. It's what Paul is wanting to get across to us. He did it with his life. These miracles are signs of God's presence and power confirming his mercy and faithfulness to his children. We grow in faith through this and we grow in commitment and in inner peace. That is having your hearts guarded, your mind and hearts guarded by the peace of God because there's a resting in that, not a passivity, but a resting of the soul, receiving the goal of your faith, the healing salvation of a fretting soul. And God says, come to me, bring your burdens that here to me. I'll give you rest in your soul. So let's be encouraged this is not an impossible task. It is something so counterintuitive to today's way of thinking of cause and effect. But that's another world. We live in a world where God is sovereign and he invites us into his sovereignty to witness it, to wonder at it, and to praise him for it and to share the good news of it. Encourage others to trust God for their lives. Amen. When we think of Paul not understanding the sovereignty of God until he met Jesus, that's quite understandable because it can't be entered into except by faith. It doesn't make sense otherwise. It's not logical. It is in retrospect. So we need faith. How do you get faith for this? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But how will they believe who 
haven't heard. Blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. Be a bringer of good news. Allow faith to be ignited in people's hearts for a great God who knows our needs. He knows every sparrow that falls from the sky tells us not to fret. He brings us into another world. It's a world of wonder, sovereign intervention, but it might as well not be there unless you have faith that it is and offer yourself to be part of it. Be astounded. That's the hope we live with. It's not cheap. It costs everything. It costs our will. <laughs> but what a delight to do it and have it working. Lifted above the cause and effect of human effort. The works of faith now. <laughs>